0: Hey
1: David yeah, what's up, Reed? Can you describe Rosie the Riveter
0: to me? okay, I've seen this at like two dozen uh college Halloween house parties that it's it's got the um red bandana tied up on the head it's got the uh the red lipstick it's got the uh like chambray shirt um that usually it was one of those like j crew ones that had the little like buttons on the sleeves um that was is rolled up uh and usually they they, they got to pose with the, the bicep up for like a hot second.
1: What color is Rosie? Like, like what would you
0: describe her uh, as? On the poster? Yeah. She is uh, very white, very pale, that Rosie the Riveter. Is Rosie the Riveter based on a real person? <laughs> well, after the interview that we just did, yes, but no. Like, uh, Rosie the Riveter did not, did not look like that uh, historically. Our guest today is Miko Underwood, who is a... Very well accomplished fashion designer and just launched her new denim brand, uh, Oak and Acorn. Uh, She has been a designer for uh, the better part of two decades, a CFDA design award winner whose brand is uh, just launching at Nordstrom's later this month. And uh, Oak and Acorn is a confluence of both uh, American history that's untold to black and indigenous peoples and her own personal story. Miko, thank you so much for joining us and uh, coming on the podcast today.
2: Thank you, guys.
0: Uh, it's great to have you so uh we're right here at the launch of your brand oak and Acorn. Oh, I just was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what oak and acorn is and how that's been going and uh, you know where people can find it perhaps
2: sure, So oaken acorn is the first sustainable denim brand in Harlem, new York um and it is now, it actually just launched in Nordstrom. Um, it will be launching in Up in about mid-May, mid mid, May, mid to late May. I'm sorry, mid to late March. And then we will also have exclusive on our online shop, which should be launching March, April. So it's exciting. Mm-hmm. It's a very exciting moment. Um, it's in, so Nordstrom and Nordstrom.com. So it's everywhere. All right! Oh, nice.
0: Congratulations. Thank it's, you. It's a big feeling. How long has it been in the works?
2: Oh God. Well, I've been in the industry for a really long time, <laughs> but um, this brand is kind of—I don't know—it's weird because I've always wanted to do a sustainable denim brand. Um, but uh, when I originally started, when we founded the name Oak and Acorn, was like, okay, I want to do this brand called Oak and Acorn. That was back in 2016 it was trying to understand how I could do a direct-to-consumer brand um, and how could it be sustainable in that we wouldn't do a lot of inventory. Because at that time, we didn't have, like, sustainable resources um, as far as, like, finding, like, you know, the, the, the factories that could match the level of the work that we wanted to do. And um, at that time, I had a design partner. And uh, so we were doing direct from the factory. And we'd only create, you know, direct enough to just cover the whatever orders we had. But that was so expensive. Literally, you know, <laughs> the, the bill to pay a shipment from overseas to a customer was insane. It was almost more than what the actual gene was. And so that didn't work. I put a lot of money into that and I just said, okay, that's not going to work. So I took a step back and then started doing um, work with my sister, with her nonprofit, And really start to evaluate like what was important to me. And from back in 2007, I started to really research around, um, you know, wanting to be a better denim designer. I didn't know the word sustainability in 2007, my first Mm -hmm. trip to Pakistan. And so I really started to research like, how do we get like cool fabrics? Like, what are the ways that we could improve on denim? So I started to learn a lot about um, alternative fabrics, started to research and I saw, like, things happening around, like, bamboo and, um, and uh, uh, organic cotton. And, and then there were some mentions of hemp, but it was very, 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 very small. And no one was really doing it. You, you'd hear about these technologies and, um, and then obviously going to kingpins and, and loving all of these different fabrics and people trying to do stuff. But anytime there was, like, uh, anything around, like, hemp it was very small, everyone had very small capsule. And then working for companies that really didn't that really weren't involved in it and didn't want to do this kind of work, um, who didn't believe in doing alternative fabrics. So it was my own personal work where I started to really like just stay in in keeping myself informed around what uh what alternative fabrics look like before the word sustainability came up. So when I took that break with my sister, it, it was kind of like um, to help her with her company. For me, it was more of it was like a reckoning for myself to decide, like, OK, what do I want to do? If Do I want to keep designing denim? Like, am I into this? Is this does it matter? Is it meaning? Is it doing something to help people? Like what's happening? Um, is this why am I doing this? And I wanted to. Um, Mm -hmm. take a moment to really just like, think about that. And I I would, I went even deeper into the research. So I had been like following hemp, following the research of hemp. And I knew that hemp had been like, the first gene was made of hemp and you know, all the stuff that we all know about hemp. First gene is made of hemp. The first American flag was made in hemp. Um, The first pair of Levi's was hemp. Our ships were sailed with hemp. The, the rope everything everything was hemp made mm-hmm. there were hemp made cars everything was hemp right and so I started to really yeah.
0: then big cotton came in
2: <laughs> yeah big cotton came in and and overtook the industry and um and made us a capitalist society that we are today um and so um uh, mm-hmm. I I went in deeper and saw this thing about Negro cloth. And I was like, what the hell is this? (laughs) And so that's how I was like, okay, let me, let me, if I'm going to do this denim thing, let me, let me tell a different story. And that's how the oak and acorn that we know is what it is now. So 2009, that was about 2018, 2019 is when I started to really get out there. And I had my first show with Harlem's Fashion Row as one of their showcase designers. And then on my own in 2020 with the CFDA.
0: I think that really interested me about your brand as well is is that there are so many like well-trodden stories in denim that everyone knows like, okay, here's James Dean wearing like uh, jeans in Rebel Without a Cause, here are the miners, here are the cowboys. But it's a fabric that covers so many more people and so many more histories, a lot of which that, you know, people or companies don't really want to acknowledge. Um, and Oak and Acorn seems to be bringing that to the forefront in a way that I haven't seen a major fashion label or really any fashion label, uh, acknowledge.
2: Well, thank you for saying that. I, I thought it was really important to be authentic. You know, in the denim industry, we always talk about the authentic heritage brand or authentic denim. And what does it mean to be heritage if you're not really honoring the history of denim you can't do part of the story you have to tell the full story as much as you can and mostly you know a lot of brands just tell from their perspective but I think it's really in this moment especially it's it's really important to pay homage to you know the all the contributions that have happened and so many lives that were sacrificed um, to even for us to be fortunate enough to um, wear jeans today, but you know, and how jeans have shown up through our history, I think is the most interesting story. This is not black history, it's not indigenous American history. This is American history. This is stuff that we should know and we should, you know, are, are something that we should be having conversations about, especially, you know, when what we've experienced in our political landscape and what we're experiencing as, you know, an American community and a global community, you know this should be the conversation just because this is our American history. We should all know about the constitution. We should all know about the laws. We should all know about how they affect us. We should know how we got to that point. You know, these are the things that we should have these conversations about. This is all part of American history. So if we're going to talk about heritage, you know, for me, you know, that was my process was really deciphering those words and being true to it. Right. If I'm going to talk about Mm -hmm. authenticity, And integrity, I I have to be true to that. And, um, and so it was important for me to have, um, to speak to this collective voice. I think it's something that was already reverberating for me. I felt it very palpably. I felt like it was a time, this was the time to speak to it. Um, and where, how denim showed up, um, through and as its origin story and how it shows up throughout American history as we know it, you know, today, I felt like it was important to share those micro stories. And there's, I mean, and I've only, you know, talked about very little parts of it, of, you know, first, you know, starting with indigo being the hidden commodity of slave trade. And that is enough to have a three hour conversation about, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
2: denim and indigo.
0: Your brand and the um the fashion week video that released has a few key moments or uh, historical uh, inspirations behind it. There're yeah. things like, you know, negro cloth like you mentioned as well as, you know, uniforms of incarceration, sharecropper clothing, things like that. I was just wondering uh, if you could explore a little bit of how those worked into individual garments uh right. that were presented in the collection.
2: Well, You know, I, so I, my collection has five, uh, sub collections. First and foremost is a seasonless genderless Mm -hmm. collection. That's number one. I wanted it to be, you know, seasonless for me meant that it would be able to carry throughout the year. And that was part of my, uh, contribution to sustainability as far as like not having to you know, as designers we're relegated to all these calendars and all these markets, and we're constantly designing and designing for, you know, the buyers. And, and so to mm. me, it was really important to be able to say, okay, this is my statement for the year, I may have a few like, uh, exclusives that are like small capsule micro collections throughout that. But this is the base. This is my base collection. And so that was really important for me to have a seasonless collection, genderless. Because I believe that, um, you know, it was important to have just equanimity in the in the in 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 the design. You know, so much of what I design and how I've my eye has been, you know, is looking in the men's market for functionality. I love the functionality of men's market and I also like, you know, some of the the trendiness of the women's market. So I wanted to marry that and it was really about genderless for men, for me really meant about having like just equanimity in the design. Um, it wasn't about privileging sex or, you know, male over female or, you know, whatever. It was more just about, this is for anybody and anyone. You know, when I started Oak and Acorn, I started with the coverall, which was our, it's our signature piece, which pay homage homage to the enslaved worker, the farmer, the prisoner, the laborer. And then there's, um, Uh, the inspiration, which is our statement hoodies. They have like powerful statements like rebel reborn, um, stuff like that. Uh, Sustain, evolve. And then love is like, you got one of those on right now. I have one on, but this one is, is uh, sold out right now. Ah. So I have, (laughs) but we have some other (laughs) colors in, uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. We have some other colors in, um, in Nordstrom. Um, and so, uh, so that's the statement hoodies and then, and we, it's active. We actually had added a, uh, uh, active pant and uh, we have some cropped, some cropped versions of that as well. And then, um, the other collection is the geek collection, which is, it pays homage to the, uh, the quilting, the geometric quilting techniques of the Amer of the women from the 19th century in the American South. And, you know, a lot of those techniques were adopted by our military. And so that part of the collection is very military inspired. Um, And so um, the and then the other part of our collection is our workwear essentials, which are like, you know, our traditional denim pieces. And then the Sunrise Collection, it pays homage to the origins of indigo. And so that stuff is hand dyed, hand woven and hand hand-dyed, hand-woven, and hand-stitched in West Africa and then imported here. And so it's really, really beautifully done. Pure indigo dye. Um, Even the denim that's with it is pure indigo um, dye. No synthetic. Um, So it's a really, really beautiful collection.
0: We live in a fast-paced world. Sometimes you just need to slow down and stop heddles plus the new membership program of exclusive content giveaways discounts and a community chat forum try a month free with the code extra blowout reed and i have just finished off a 13 uh, part series on the history of denim that uh is about eight hours of us getting into the weeds of this stuff so we're uh Can be a bit of history nerds, and we're excited today to talk a little bit about one of the narratives that inspired the collection, Um, specifically the contributions that uh, Black women made to the war effort in World War II in uh, manufacturing, in shipyards, and building aircraft and other uh, areas of um, you know the fight at home.
2: Of course, I mean you know with our fashion video, um, which you could see on our YouTube channel. As you said, we highlight different pieces of history in um, how particularly how denim shows up throughout. And it was important for us to highlight women. Denim was first relegated as a uniform of the enslaved labor force and then the sharecropper tenant farmer, you see it in the incarcerated labor force, and then you see it in the work where, uh of the World War II women. And so for Black women at the time in the shipyards in the military, um, you know, they had, uh, it was a very interesting moment at that time because Black women traditionally had worked in the homes of a lot of these white families. Um, They were the backbone of the white household long after slavery. Um, And the emancipation from enslavement forced them into this a lot of unskilled work with little, little bit of pay. So when the women were, when all of the women, when all the men went out, you know, not every single man, but the majority of men were recruited for the war. Um, all of the women, including the white women, were asked to go out and work in the workforce. The difference between black and white women is that um, black women had been experienced already um, of being out working. They had worked in, um, as farm laborers and domestic servants. Um and, and obviously caring for white families at the expense and with to earn insufficient wages. Um when it was time for them to work in the shipyards, what's interesting about this story is that, you know, we often see the image of Rosie the Riveter and this women's empowerment and you know, this very positive image. And that wasn't the experience of black women in the in the shipyard. They had faced mm-hmm. uh uh an incredible burden. They had the double burden of sexual harassment um as well as uh racial discrimination.
0: You can look back in history and say, like, "Oh, this is just a natural uh, progression of everyone was off at war, so this forced you know, somewhat progressive changes to happen as there was a need in the workforce. but a lot of this was done reluctantly, if not uh hostily towards integration in a lot of these factories that, uh, yeah,
2: yeah. They didn't accept them at all. They didn't want them. You know, a lot of times the white laborers were like, we don't want to work side by side, you know? I mean, this happened not only in the shipyards, but the women in the military were also, you know, who were a lot of times the women in the black women in the military who had skills and came on as skilled workers, you know, um, weren't given those jobs, they were given orderly jobs, you know, but there was uprising that began to happen. Where I see where denim can serve for them at that point was that it served as a protection. Um, The workwear helped to desexualize them in a lot of ways, because, you know, they had on these coveralls, they were dressed like, you know, the workwear of the men, like the clothing um, helped to, you know, desexualize these women. But you know the black women at the time they their work was you know the department of labor labor said 63% of black women were engaged as welders trainees and laborers where only 6% of white women were laborers and 9% of uh, of them were welders and 9% of them were electricians so you have to understand the the, the huge disparity of black women having like the heavy work. And I can imagine there were all types of, you know, if I were to think about it and put myself in that perspective, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, these women got injured, you know, having physically and uh, labor intensive jobs um, that were at the time, you know, working on the shipyard for a woman at that time, it could be, you know, and for anyone, it could be uh, a, a mm-hmm. physically taxing and dangerous job. So I can imagine what they had gone through, but what I think is miraculous about these women is that they created a space because you know uh, uh, there were working workers unions that were happening, but not for people of color. There were union uh, unions that were fighting for the rights um, for uh, uh, for the women, the white women, and for just the laborers that had the experience of working. You know, the the men that had the experience of working. Um, together. So there were a lot of unions that had been created, but these women began to create unions and social organizations to fight for the right, for div- diverse work opportunities. And they fought for the right to unionize. They fought for the right to fair wages. And now you have to understand this is like in the 1940s. This is way before the civil rights movement. So when people talk mm-hmm. about the civil rights movement, they just think like Martin Luther King, the SNCC, the late sixties, you know, they think about that, but actual the civil rights movement and unionizing and fair and fighting for fair wages and fair working um, conditions started, you know, almost, uh, 30 years prior, 30 to 40 years prior, you know what I'm saying? Um, with these women. And so, um, and this was not happening just in the shipyards. As I said, there's a Supreme court case that goes on, um, for, uh, four women. There's a story of four women in the military. Um, I guess this could be a personal story. I don't know if you know this story. It's about um, four Black women patriots, uh, Mary Green, Anna Morrison, Johnny Murphy, and Alice Young. And they fought for the right to work in the, min- in the military. So at the time, there was this women's army corps that was happening. Um, and it was a newly established branch of the military. And a lot of women were eager to help to fight in the nation's fight for democracy and had been learning um, about this newly opened branch for women. Um, and so these four women, they were skilled to work you know, as nurses or whatever, they were skilled to work in the military. Um, but they had been relegated to fight as orderly at the all black orderly base. Um, and they refused. They were like, we're not doing this. This is crazy. We are skilled and we want to do the work. We're excited to work and support, you know, cuz you have to understand this also not just um the military had, you know, men of all races at that time, black and white fighting. So, this is an opportunity for these young black women to also supply, to support the soldiers that they know, right? The, the soldiers that they felt like they wanted to contribute to the war efforts and be there for to support cuz it, you know, when you understand about racial discrimination, obviously, you know, you may be thinking about, at least as from a Black perspective, you know, maybe the care won't be the same for my Black brothers or my Black uncles or my Black, you know, friends, because so I would want to be there to be in the space to be able to offer them that type of support. Someone that, like me, will look at them and be like, you know, this is somebody that I can relate to. This is somebody that I know. Not to say this is you know everybody obviously there were people of all races that you know there's some that are white some are black who are just caring and just understanding the the brotherhood that happens in the military but obviously there was some deep racial discrimination that was happening amongst the men in the military and obviously the women in the military but for these four black for these four black women they refused to go and take these orderly positions, and they, they decided to strike, and they were arrested and court martialed. They went on trial and for nine days, and they uh, had been convicted and sentenced to dishonorable discharge. They got lost to pay and had one year of imprisonment with hard labor. And so, to me, when I started seeing these kind of stories like this, this is called the Fort Devon Strike. That's what it was mm-hmm. called. Um, and it's probably one of the most publicized court marshals of World War II, but largely forgotten today. To me, there was so many lines that are drawn to what we see in incarceration, because if you know the Constitution, that once you're incarcerated, you don't have any rights,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? And so, you know, you're basically a slave and your labor's free. I mean, there's many private prisons in our country that serve to Make our food, you know. That you know, farm our farms, our American farms. That some of them make our clothing. Some of us make. uh, Some of them make the military clothing. Some of them, uh, you know, make parts for cars that we, you know, are uh, that we benefit from. And so, to me, labor exploitation has not ended in America. It's crazy, and it's very personal to me because, um, you know, as I was talking about this, the work that I was doing with my sister. Her organization is We Got Us Now, which is, um, she's the CEO founder of We Got Us Now, which is for children and young adults impacted by parental incarceration. And that's our, that was our personal story. Our dad, um, up until January, was incarcerated for 33 years.
0: I was just going to say, when you mentioned that he was out in the hallway, I was like, oh, I don't want to like sidetrack us here, but congratulations. It's incredible. We were talking about that in December.
2: Thank you, yeah, I know. can you it's been crazy, like my brand has launched, he's here to experience it with me, you know, like in a real way, I've been getting so much love from Nordstrom, you know, and I'm speaking at at the store on Saturday, and it's just been nonstop and to just have my dad here to experience it with me is crazy, so, yeah, like he had gotten compassionate release, which was great. You know, the fact that he was able, he, 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 the reason he was released, not just because of compassionate release, but the judge said that he was, you know, above and beyond an exemplary inmate. And he had no, no um, infractions while he was inside, which is kind of unheard of. He'd been in there mm-hmm. 33 years and never had any infraction. And I also understand he was the first, this was the first time he ever had a prison stint. And they gave, they threw the book, gave him life. And basically, uh, said that uh, you know all the laws that put you here had now been um, are now deemed unconstitutional. But someone who was charged prior to the date that we've now deemed it unconstitutional will remain in prison. So he literally is just sitting in prison for the last years. You know, at least the last thirteen years, he'd been sitting in, in prison after the laws changed. And so we have been fighting our whole life, pretty much our whole, I mean, since I was a kid, I'd been in the law and learning all the legal limbo with him, you know, just to, to, you know, understand what was going on with our legal system. And so I'd never thought that I'd be drawing lines to fashion and, you know, U.S. Constitution and all this stuff. But it, it really is like the reason why we have these industries today is so much connected to, you know, the institutions that built up our country you know, the labor of black and indigenous people, um, we're all affected by racism. Not to say that, you know, personally black and indigenous people were the laborers, but this is a history that has been, you know, uh before it was in America, it was in England, it was happening to Scottish people, it was happening to Irish people, this was happening around the world, right? And when when these guys came to America, they wanted to get people who were uh uh, who are skilled in specific things to grow this American country. But, you know, the issue of enslavement and and and, and using, forcing labor and, and exploiting labor is not a new story, but it's something that definitely needs to be changed. But yes, dad is home and it's exciting to have him home. And um, yeah, it's, it's very surreal because I was a kid when he went in. So this has been the surreal experience. but. That was why, uh, you know, it was really important for us with uh, We Got Us Now to highlight these, you know, the stories of people who have had the experiences that we've had because um, people, children and young adults who've been impacted by parental incarceration is a really hard thing to experience. And, um and most of the time, we don't speak about it because there's a lot of stigma and shame people have with having a parent incarcerated. Because you don't really know how to speak about your parent's story because of your parent, you love your parent, and whatever it is they may have done or may not have done, the world looks at them as a criminal.
0: Yeah, it sounds like Oak and Acorn has been just a confluence of you know all the different aspects of your life and uh, you know everything sort of coming together as you mentioned at this point with the launch of the collection. Oh my
2: God. It is. I mean, we didn't even talk about the sustainable fabrics. Like that Mm -hmm. was an important part part for me as well. But yeah, you know, for me, what's, you know, it all comes back to sustainability, you know, Mm -hmm. and sustainability to me is a 360 approach. It's about, uh, it was a personal, as you, as you mentioned, it was a personal experience. It was a personal experience for me because I had to start with myself. I wanted to Get my mind, body, and spirit in alignment, and it started with me meditation and becoming a vegan, and all of that started just with my own holistic practice. And from there, you know, as I said earlier, I was questioning around what does it mean to be authentic and you know tell a true story, um, of having integrity. And the the thing that kept ringing in my ear was about cultural responsibility and cultural accountability, and what does that look like? And so. These stories uh this this history drew me you know indigo being the hidden commodity of slave trade and what was happening, and how indigo you know the the desire for indigo propelled plantations around the globe and eventually into the Americas, and that was really how you know we got here, and so um you know it is just an incredible connection to me, but so you know when I think about sustainability, it was about having this 360 approach of like being able to have education um being able to have a social impact how do you show up in your community what are you going to do it's not just about talking the talk but how do you walk the walk what are you doing to help propel change and and then also from the environmental impact like are you choosing fabrics and fibers that really are you know are you working with mills are you being transparent like that are that are Trying to do the right thing, that are using less water, that using less chemicals. Like, it's not a it's not a flawless process. Every day we're constantly learning, we're constantly trying. Are you repurposing? Are you remaking? Like, how are you? Are you upcycling? Are you recycling? Is your denim biodegradable? Yes. So I constantly ask myself these questions. Am I working with artisans? Am I helping to give back in that way? Yes, it might be more expensive to work with those artisans in Africa, but am I giving them a fair wage? Are they being able to eat? Are they okay, yes, yes. So I have my own personal checklist of, <laughs> you know, things that I have to make sure that I continue to do for the brand. That's really important to me. And um, you know, there's so much that I want to do. And these stories help to inspire me and it motivate me to continue to do more. So
0: yeah, uh, in terms of fabrics and talking about sustainability, you mentioned hemp before. Uh, is hemp part of the the denim collection?
2: With absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely.
0: Uh, I'm really excited about hemp. Uh, moving forward, is uh, this is a thing we've talked about uh, with other guests in the past, but that it has so much more character.
2: Yes, it does.
0: Than a lot of you know the, the cotton these days is sort of like you know enriched, bleached flower in comparison. Oh, wow.
2: Wow. True. That's a true that's a true statement. I never heard that. <laughs> uh yeah, and
0: the hemp it's 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 like it's alive. Uh it has you know character. It, it has a hand feel to it. But uh yeah like could you talk a little bit about what the, the fabric selection process was like for you, especially having this like really long checklist of things that it has to hit. Like uh was it difficult for you to find a fabric that you know, spoke to you and the story that you wanted to tell while still making a garment that um excited you?
2: Well, can I just tell you, I feel extremely blessed. This this during the pandemic, this year, everything, I've been feeling extremely blessed because uh 2019, um a friend of mine had a connection and her friend who happened to be uh, it's a dear friend of mine and her friend who happened to be the wife of uh, Candiani, Alberto Candiani, decided to donate a bunch of sustainable denim to me. That was that was year one. That was in 2019. 2020, during the pandemic, uh, mill reached out and said, hey, we have sample yardage of hemp cotton, you know, 120 meters. Would you would you want this? Can you use this? What? I'm like, hell yeah, I can. Thank you. Jesus, <laughs> my address. he sent it to me. So that was that was year two. Year, and then by the end of 2020, I was able to uh get this incredible partnership with Sorti, um Sorti Enterprises, which is out of Pakistan, and they are one of the biggest mills manufacturers. And have been doing a lot of work around the human value and, um, you know, focusing people over profit and production. And so they've been doing a lot of work around sustainability and they believed in what I was doing. And so they've been a huge partner. They actually make the coveralls. and they've made some of our so their their product is their signature coveralls that's going to be in Macy's that's our partnership with Sortie but they've made some other products on the line that we will later release but um it's been incredible so i you know in that way i feel really blessed but um yes every, every i start my conversation with i'm looking for this type of fabric Mm-hmm. You know, that's how I start my conversation with my mills. That's how I start my conversation with anybody. This is the way that I would like to work. And this is the type of fabric I'm looking for. And so um, we work with Refibra, which is, you know, this new uh, version of Tencel um, that is recycled cotton and Tencel is biodegradable, bi- biodegradable and compostable. We work with Tencel. We work with hemp. We work with, obviously, this artisan fabric that's 100% cotton that's hand-dyed, hand-woven. So every piece of the collection, even our active pieces are BCI cotton and recycled poly. Everything. Uh, It was my standard. So I started in with that standard. And I, I didn't want to do anything. If I couldn't do it, I wouldn't do it. I, I wasn't going to force myself. And I, but like I said, I started the collection with, as a seasonless collection. And I knew that I wanted to have a certain amount of pieces. And these are my foundation pieces. And then from whatever I in, inject, you know, in the year it's just a continuation of the story that I'm telling. And so, you know, it took a lot of years to get to this point, And I have a lot of great advisors. Um, and so I feel really fortunate to have been blessed. But it felt like, honestly, I felt like you know, the, the universal gods were like shining down on me and sprinkling me with all this goodness mm. in these last two years. Um, but yeah, that was the standard we started with, so it was important for me to 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 have that from the beginning for the for the for my denim selection.
0: Sounds like all the pieces really just sort of lined up, especially being stuck during you know COVID. with production happening like all around the world to be able to have everything in place and for it to, you know, be able to pull it off is really impressive.
2: I mean, can I just, I just feel like, you know, this, this virus has been so such a crazy experience for all of us. Um, And Mm -hmm. so many people have lost families and I, you know, family members and have been affected in so many diverse ways, but I also feel like it has brought us to, a commonality like we because we've all experienced together um we're all having to we're all having to like rethink and 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 work very differently and so bigger companies who maybe weren't interested in working in smaller guys like with me they've you know refocused what their companies are about because they've been impacted on a human level they've thought about like okay What's important for us as a company? What do we value more? You know, and I think Sorty really did that. They they thought about, they looked at their workers. You know, they even showed the workers my video. You know, uh, the Fashion Week video. To to mm-hmm. to for them, it was sharing a story that they could relate to around you know labor exploitation and you know honoring the laborer. For me, it wasn't just about showing the story as, oh, this, we've been exploited, but more of like denim has its own history that is is controversial, but it's so political. And it has been the face of so many movements throughout time. And and it continues to be the face of the movement. And so to me, it was really important to... Uh, uh, when they shared that they had shared that with them and had, they felt very proud to make the product. And, um, you know, I have, I have factories here too, you know, working locally was really important to me being able to make in Harlem to be able to support the few factories that were also operating in New York city because so many New York city factories that got closed, you know, um, but to be able to support the New Mm -hmm. York City factories that are still operating And they have been, you know, my factories here have been incredible in supporting and making sure, you know, to put the care into the product. And honestly, I believe it's, you know, the story and what it represents. They feel like they're making something that means something, you know, that has value, that is telling something that means something special that's going to affect people. And that was it. You know, honestly, I felt like, I could have walked away from the denim industry. You know, I felt like, you know, what's important to make is, is making clothes important, Mm -hmm. you know, is it, is it important in this moment? But when I started talking about uh, the history, when I only had one coverall in 2019 um, and I was walking around with that one coverall and speaking, you know, at Parsons and speaking at different organizations. It was important to be able to just share the education. But what I recognized was that people wanted to walk away with something that connected because they felt connected to the story.
0: I was wondering, like, there's so many different influences uh, historically there. I was wondering if there were any reference pieces uh, you know, coveralls that were worn by women who were welders, or uh, uniforms of incarcerated peoples, or uh, specific examples of you know archival vintage items that were worked into the coverall, or any other piece in the collection.
2: Well, I feel like you know I did research for all of that. I did research all the different coveralls um, because there's so many different styles. There's you know some of them that have the painter's hook, you know, or the painter's pocket. Ours has a painter's pocket. Um, you know, having like uh the mechanic, the the air, the aviator coverall. I mean, I still have like an archive of coveralls and I still have stuff in my arsenal that has just not come out yet. Mm -hmm. But um
0: (laughs) Any favorites? You got like a top five coveralls? We
2: can't can't talk about all of this yet, David. Because I you know, I'm still (laughs) trying I'm still building a collection. I'm still working on my collection. But um yeah, I mean, this one I it was to me, I personally wear my coverall oversized. So the fit of my coverall that I have out, the Signature Rebel coverall, is an oversized fit. I love an oversized anything, just, you know, mm-hmm. everything. I feel, I feel more comfortable in it. I don't want to be super tight. We do have a fitted coverall on the line. It's called the Reverse Rebel. But, you know, what I think was important was that I try to take, well, let me tell you about my coverall. Because I thought about a lot of different things. Firstly, when you look at military coveralls, um, our original, like Crewman's coverall, they have, the original ones are made with Velcro, right, mm-hmm. um, as the closures. Then they, they went up to like covered, I think they went up to like plastic buttons and some of them have zippers, you know, obviously there's all star sort I have favorites. I'm not going to tell you my favorites because I'm working on my collection. But anyway, okay, we'll have to figure it
0: out. You know, the <laughs> CSI coverall here. You're
2: gonna see. You'll see it. You'll see it show up. But you know, my influences are. I mean, I look at every single coverall I can possibly imagine. I mean, I'm being, I'm obsessed right now with um, the the air the aviator ones in this moment, and that's all I'll say. But anyway. Um, my coverall. It was important for it to be as easy as possible because I personally think about, you know, what about as a kid? You know, I think about a kid. I used to do children's wear for some time too. And I think about a kid like when you had to wear an overall, overall, and you had, couldn't get out of it fast enough to go to the bathroom, right? <laughs> so,
0: unfortunately, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So uh, for my coverall, I was like, "What? How can I make it easy?" So I did the Velcro openings, and so it's it has the Velcro openings. There's no metal on the coverall at all. It's completely all Velcro. um It's adjustable. If you don't want it like super like roomy, you can get closer to your size. You can adjust the waist so that it's it's uh you know if more fitted to your body. You can adjust adjust the bottom uh, hem so that it can go into your boot or your shoe. You can wear a heel with it. You can wear a boot. You can wear it, slide it into your sneaker. You can wear it straight. I mean, and it's, it's just super easy. To me, it was about being having something that's super easy. It's so comfortable and soft. I can't com- can begin to tell you how soft this fabric is. It's literally like, it's like wearing um like a, like a lounge piece. Because it's really that soft,
0: um is this a hemp or is this the, the this it sounds like tensel
2: this is the Refibra Tensel cotton blend um,
0: wearing trees
2: it's yeah, you're wearing trees eucalyptus trees so uh it's super, super soft and it's just amazing and uh I can't wait it's gonna hit Nordstrom this week, and I'm so excited because everyone who's had it who's had my, my first round from 2019 loves the coverall and they all rave about it. So I can't wait to, until it hits the floor, but yeah, that, you know, to me, it was about making it as easy. I, I think I'm going to get probably a little more technical as I go forward, but again, I don't want to have that ease of, I want to make sure I have that ease of, of comfort and, and wearability and functionality for the customer going forward. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my coverall. It definitely is a nod to uh 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 the the original um uh crewman's coverall.
1: I'm still fascinated by trying as a New York resident, uh or New York City resident and someone who also um has both worked with uh sustainability folks in the city and with fashion folks in the city and in the social impact space, sort of across the whole board. I'm wondering what the challenges you faced. Um, aside from just finding factories to manufacture in the city, because I just know that that's become something that's, uh, increasingly rare, even for those like real made in New York holdouts. And that doesn't have the added specificity of the nature of your brand.
2: My experience is working with larger factories and kind of like, you know, designing Picking, you know, they they spoil you because they design. They send you the fabrics that you have to choose from. Especially someone like Sorty, who has the mill and manufacturer. That's like a that's like a gift for a designer. You actually have the the fact the fabric there that you can choose from, and actually they can actually make the garment. That's that's a gift for a designer. Um, and so I've been spoiled in that way where I can design pick the fabrics, you know, they can make the labels, they can make whatever I want in that one space. With years of experience working out of Asia, everywhere from Korea to Japan, um, China, and Pakistan, I've just been spoiled to kind of like, you know, you send it off into the internet matrix. You don't see it, then voila, you get a gift and everything's done, right? Yeah. <laughs> so New York, <laughs> working locally is very different.
0: <laughs> yeah, you got to get your and good shoes on. And <laughs> you
2: have to run your ass everywhere. You are running. You are doing the running man everywhere. I am fortunate, again, to have some really good partners here in New York. Um, I have had really good support from... Um, some local guys and who, uh, again, I did my research. Like, I researched them uh, five years ago and kind of kept the connection and tried to do stuff with them early on. And, you know, that kind of fell through on my part. And, you know, and then just kind of like just kept the connection. And during the pandemic, I asked, I was like, are you guys going to be open? Are you opening up? And they're like, we're not open yet, or whatever, whatever. And then finally, they're like, we're back open. And I'm like, okay, I'm coming. And this, all of my New York stuff is that uh, stuff that I imported from Africa. So it's all my indigenous fabrics. What I recognize working with them is that I get to work on like my quote unquote couture stuff with New York. I get to work on stuff that is like really precious, you know, Um, where I recognize that, you know, and there's even wash houses that are local um, that we that I get to work with and being able to work with partners like BPD Denim, BPD Wash House, and then working with wash houses that you know that were here and just even checking out the differences of the wash house where some washes houses are like they do more like volume products, so they're not going to take care of your your precious cargo the same way. We had a we had a slip up where. We had all, we had about $800 worth of this fabric that got washed at one of these wash houses, not BPD. Mm -hmm. Bill would never do that. Yeah, Bill wouldn't do that. And (laughs) Bill actually helped us out in like correcting. They tinted our fabric so horribly. And we're like, what happened? And the fabric was like, torn apart some of it was torn apart because you remember it's all handmade hand done so you can't just throw it in a regular industrial wash and like so these are I'm just speaking to the points that read like some yeah. of the things that you know and so you understand like working in New York that you start to understand the different the different levels and what people are capable of very quickly and you say like you know if I want this precious cargo handheld i'm gonna pay a little bit more and go to bill and i know that he's gonna take his time to make sure and he was able to correct our fabrics and production looks amazing and you know but we lost like a good six hundred dollars worth of product with a terrible wash from a that could not be fixed and fabric like disintegrated and terrible like destroyed like i don't know what they put in there stones or i don't know what they did but they messed it up bad i mean i've been really just utilizing all my resources i have my my original design partner that i talked about in the beginning angie she lives in korea now she's korean and you know she was able to be at the korean factory uh where we did some of our production and she was able to take care of all you know uh uh, a lot of our you know um label production and that kind of stuff. So the, weird, the weirdest part about all this is back in 2011, I did, uh, um, uh, I was an expat of Shanghai. I lived in Shanghai for a year. I was a global design director for a company. And so my whole life was waking up super early in the morning and getting on Skype and speaking to my, to my New York team because it was nighttime, it was thirteen, you know, and talking about their day and the expectation of what they heard from the buyers in New York. And then relaying that during the day with my Chinese team to be able to design for the New York market. So this pandemic of like speaking and working online, I feel like I got a little bit of a a, a little bit of a um, head <laughs> start. You were built for this. I already did it. I did it for a year where I was, you know you know, online and, and, and operating and making things happen on, you know, in many different time zones, you know, cause I was working with factories all around China, Vietnam, India, Pakistan, and having traveled to all these places as well while living out in Asia and then coming back home every two months to New York. Cause I had a 12 a year old that was staying with my family, but yeah, I mean, I, I kinda, you know, I, I'd already done this. So the gift is that, you know, even my design partner, who's, you know, in Korea, she, you know, she, she, rec- she knows this, that she can move with me in the same way. So like I said, I feel like this whole process, you know, I would say to anybody who's young and in the process is like, everything that you're doing in this moment is going to inform how you move later. You know, it definitely every single piece and part, I can look now and say, wow, that's why I had that experience wow, that's why I had this experience because it's totally helped me in this moment.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Is there there anything else that you wanted to mention that we didn't get into?
2: You got to plug uh, Nordstrom. You got to plug that's coming the shop up. And shop you got to plug Oak and Acorn brand.com. Our e-com store will be opening March 2021.
0: Awesome. Yeah, we'll link all that below. And uh, thanks so much for coming on, Miko. I really enjoyed talking with you.
2: Thank you, guys. It was fun. I had fun.
0: Thank you so much, Miko, for coming on. If you want to find more about Oak and Acorn, you can go to either Nordstrom or Shopbop or her brand's website, oakandacornbrand.com as well as if you want to know more about uh, her sister's organization, We Got Us Now. We got links to that in the show notes. Uh, got any questions, comments, concerns? read what's our email?
1: It's blowout at heddles.com.
0: I think that's right. Uh, as well as if you want to support the show, we got, a, we got premium accounts now. What's that called, Reid? Heddles Plus. Heddles Plus, you can come on Discord and you can you can send us messages and you can send us pictures of your jeans and uh, you can listen to more uh, more blowout content. We're going to have more episodes that are going to be only available for our Blowout Plus members, Heddles Plus Blowout members. It's $5 a month, you can listen to all you want. Um, but there's also giveaways, exclusive discounts at partnered brands and retailers, uh, more articles, and you get to support Folks like us. Is there, what's better than that? Nothing. Read yourself. Nothing, to say is, nothing. Better nothing, nothing is, better is better
1: than that. Than that. <laughs> I can think of some things. The world's <laughs> okay. the world's fucked up right now, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they, there are some things that are better than that, but uh, it's but still pretty good. It's, it's pretty, pretty good.
1: awesome. It's amazing. No, and you can you can just direct targeted questions at David. All. As much as you want as well in that discord. Like you i just answer them, them. I'm answering them. He's obligated to. It's, it's yeah. worth it alone.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's nice. Just uh, Also, thank you to people that have sent in nice emails. Uh, someone even said, like, I hope you feel nice when you read this. And I did. Um, I'm not going to out who that was, but you know who you are. Thank you.
1: Those do always make, they, they feel good when you get them,
0: you know? Yeah, they do. All right. uh, Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.